Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. All right, how's everybody doing? Good, good, good. I want to welcome those of you who are here in the room, everybody watching online as well. So we are continuing this series called Curveball. And I don't know if you know this or not, but if you read through the Gospels, one of the things you'll find is that Jesus seemed to leave people with this sense of shock and awe, like he rarely acted the way people expected him to act. So what we're doing in this series is we're looking at surprising encounters that people had with Jesus. And as we begin today, here's what I want you to do. I want you to think back to when you were a child, okay? And when you were a child, I want you to think back to a time when you wanted something really bad. And this is something that just kind of consumed your heart and life. You wanted it so badly, you couldn't stop thinking about it. All right, can anybody tell me something? Let's have a little audience participation. We'll wake you up here. Go ahead, fire away. Red Rider BB. You will shoot your eyes out. <clears throat> Boy, tell you what. Did you get it? No. Oh, everybody say, oh, for Michael. Okay. It was a desperate longing. Good, good setup here. Okay. Come on, keep them coming. Rock'em, sock'em robots, those were cool. Did you get it? No. Oh, man. A desperate longing. What? A Millennium Falcon. I'm not going to add. Did you get it? Of course not. Oh, golly. What's that? A first baseman's glove. He got it. All right. Good deal. All right. So. We can go on and on. For me, I thought about several things. One of them that consumed me, and this was like before video games, before Pong. Anybody remember Pong here? All right. If you're under 40, Google it. But for me, I wanted a creepy crawler maker. Do you guys remember creepy crawlers? Okay, my brother Bruce, he had one of these. It was so cool. You would make these little rubbery, plasticky bugs and insects out of whatever chemical, whatever goop they used, right? Who knows how toxic that was, but... What happened, though, was kids were burning their hands on the little oven that came with it, so it got pulled. I never got one. It was, it was a desperate longing that went unfulfilled. But, you know, I talk with people all the time, and everybody can think back to something in their childhood, something they wanted, and sometimes we even get spiritual, right? Dear God, if you're there, please tell my parents to get me a puppy or whatever it is. And, and then if you don't get it, you're disappointed with God. I mean, even a six-year-old can go, there is no God, like... If I pray it and if I don't get it, then where are you? And, and I think today we can look back, we can laugh at those childhood moments of wanting something so bad that it dominated our life. But honestly, as I think back, as I've gotten older, I've realized that I haven't outgrown that need to desperately want things. And, and I don't think that I'm alone here, okay? That is normal. You and I still have these kinds of longings. But what we do is we replace our desire for a toy with something that we deem to be more age-appropriate, something that we deem to be more meaningful to our lives. Okay, that's normal. And you're sitting next to people who are normal today, with a few obvious exceptions, but we won't talk about that. All right? But here's what I know to be true about every one of you. It doesn't matter where you are spiritually. I know some of you, you're spiritually mature. Maybe you're Jesus Jr. out here, okay? Others of you, you're, you're growing in your faith. Still others, you may be new to the Christian faith. You put your faith in Jesus. You're trying to figure out where you are, how to grow. And, and maybe you're here, and, and you're not even sure about God. Like, you're checking it out. You're investigating, and we're glad you're here. 
But no matter where you're at spiritually, here's what I know to be true about you. There's something in your life that you really want. Because all people have these desperate longings, these desperate prayers. And I don't know what it is for you this morning. You know, maybe it's a job, a meaningful career. That is your desperate prayer. Or maybe there are women out here and you desperately want to become a mom, but for whatever reason you can't. And that's your desperate longing. Or maybe you're here and your parents and your kids have wandered from the faith. Maybe they're adults now, but they're not walking with Jesus. And your desperate prayer is that they would come back. Or maybe your marriage is broken and your desperate prayer is for healing. Or maybe you're here this morning and you're single and your desperate prayer is to get married. Like, forget eHarmony. We're talking ringbyspring.com. Yeah, bring them on now, God. Come on. Fog a mirror, whatever. You know, you're, I bet, I guarantee you, there are people here who are praying for physical healing, like for yourself, maybe for a loved one. There are people trying to kick an addiction. I mean, I could go on and on and on. All of us can identify something that we really, really want to see happen. But truth be told, it's not panning out the way we would write the script. And let's just make this personal. How many of you in here, I want you to raise your hands. How many of you would say that there, at some point in time, God was not acting or moving according to your timing? Would you raise your hand up really high? Yeah, we're going to talk about that today. And what I want you to do, I want you this morning to identify your desperate longing, your desperate prayer. And you might just jot it down at the top of your outline, or maybe you just keep it in your head. Like, what is it for you? Some of you immediately, it's already come into your mind. Others may be thinking, well, Brian, yeah, I, I, I need some time to think about this, and that's okay. It, it may mean that it's just not desperate right now, but I would encourage you to take notes because it's coming soon. You're going to need this. And for the sake of illustration, what I want you to do is I want you to imagine this cup as the place where you put your desperate prayer. Just imagine right now dropping your desperate prayer in this cup. You know, it's a cup that's portable. Like we can take it with us. We can think about it. Right? It's not too far away. It feels comfortable when we got it in our hands. So imagine right now putting your desperate prayer in there just for the sake of illustration. And today what we're going to do is we're going to see what happens when Jesus intercepts someone's desperate prayer. And I think it's going to give you hope for your desperate prayers. And I think it's going to help you to grow in your relationship with Jesus, to strengthen your walk with Jesus. So our story today, it involves two sisters, Mary and Martha, and their brother, Lazarus. And all three of them are very, very close to Jesus. But Lazarus is sick. And so the sisters, they send word to Jesus saying, hey, your good friend Lazarus, he's not doing well. He needs healing. And we're talking sick, sick, not like an infected hangnail or pollen allergies or something like that. I mean, he's not doing well. Death is on Lazarus's doorstep, okay? And Jesus, it kind of surprises everyone because he hears that his buddy is sick. And you know what he does? He stays put. He doesn't move. He stays right where he is for two days, doesn't seem to be in any hurry at all. In fact, by the time he arrives, Lazarus is dead. But here comes a surprise and curveball. Lazarus is not going to stay dead. And if you study this passage closely, you'll find at least five things about Jesus that I believe will help you in your desperate prayer. And this is the first one. Jesus demonstrates a unique timing. 
Log that in your mind. Jesus' timing is unique. It's a surprising curveball that he doesn't go to his friend right away, maybe even troubling. Like his buddy is sick, and he seems to be in no rush. Look at John 11, 5 to 7. It says, so although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. So basically, by the time he gets to Lazarus, it's been four days. Scholars believe it took the messenger about a day to get to Jesus. Then Jesus waits for two days, then another day to get back. So four days. Try to imagine this. Like, put yourself in Mary and Martha's desperate prayer. Our brother is dying here. Like, they got to be going crazy. Where is he? Come on. I mean, does he not know? Didn't he get the message? Like, what's going on here? Does he not care? He loves Lazarus. They're just going crazy. And I think for most of us, the most troubling part of trusting our life to Jesus is the fact that God does not operate on our predetermined time schedule right? He just doesn't do it. And delay, boy, it's torturous. In fact, I want you to think about your desperate prayer, your desperate longing for just a minute here. And maybe you're feeling like Mary and Martha, like, where is he? What's going on? Does he not love me? Does he not care? Because he's not showing up when and where I want him to show up. And you need to hear this today. Jesus's timing may be unique, but he never, ever stops loving you. He can't. I mean, God is love. That's his character quality. Jesus is love. He's full of it. Okay, I've been called full of it before, but not referring to love, all right? I mean, Jesus, that just emanates from him. He is love. So don't ever, ever, ever doubt his love in spite of his timing. But here's what I see with, with so many people. God, I need you to show up in this area. But then they stop trusting the Lord. You know why? Because they put a deadline on it. Right? We do this sometimes. Like, God, I need you to answer this prayer by Monday, 3 p.m. Central Standard Time. Right? People, when we do that, that disqualifies trust. Trusting in Jesus and time conditions don't go together. And I'm learning that in my walk with Jesus, in order to trust him, I have to trust his timing. And that's tough for me. I mean, if I'm honest, it feels like sometimes God's on vacation. He's not listening. He's moving too slow. And here's something to log into your mind. To walk with Jesus, I must trust the pace of his walk. If you want to walk with Jesus, you've got to trust his pace. I think a lot of us in here say, oh, yeah, I'm walking with Jesus. But truth be told, we're constantly running ahead of him. And then we wonder where he is. We get upset because he's not there. We need to learn to trust in Jesus' unique timing. Okay, the second thing we learn about Jesus in this story and in our desperate prayers is that Jesus offers a bigger life a bigger life. See, what he's saying is this. I know that whatever is in your cup right here, I know that I know that I know that it's big to you. Martha, I know this is big for you. Brian, I know your desperate prayer in here is big to you, but I can offer you something so much bigger. Boy, that's hard for us to understand because in the moment, nothing seems bigger to us, right? It says, when Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Says Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Now, Martha has this narrow, 
slim view of this. So she's going to give him the typical synagogue answer that she learned as a child. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Yeah, 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 I, I know Jesus. But Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Do you believe this? You know, what I love about Martha here is she actually has the courage to say what so many of us feel. Like, where were you, Jesus? Like, why didn't you show up? I mean, if you had been here, if you had worked on my timing and intervened, this would not have happened. And I just imagine Jesus, God in the flesh, holding Martha's face and saying, Martha, 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 your brother will rise again. Do you believe this, Martha? But see, in this moment right here, Martha has this little view. And I don't blame her for having a narrow view because in real life, dead people don't come back from the dead. She had never seen that before. And so she has this limited view. But Jesus is trying to paint a bigger picture here. Her limited view meant eternal life. She is thinking heaven. Yes, he'll rise again at the end of time. I know that. I get that. All good Jews believe that. That's what she's thinking. Well, Jesus was talking about eternal life, but eternal life, people, is not only life after death. It's the abundant life. It's the good life right now because Jesus is about to raise Lazarus from the dead. You know, for the longest time, I had this limited view Whenever I heard eternal life, I always thought heaven, just heaven. But I learned that eternal life, the abundant life, the good life is now. It starts the moment I trust in Jesus. Like something bigger is happening right here, right now. And I run into Christians all the time who say, Brian, I'm very thankful that my sins have been forgiven. That's the past. And I'm thankful that my ticket to heaven has been punched. That's the future. And so the past is forgiven, the future's taken care of, but, but they're living like hell right now. I mean, they're living this passionless, barely hanging on life. That's not the spirit-led, abundant life of the New Testament. Eternal life starts now. And I'm telling you, if you miss that, then you're missing out on this incredible adventure that we call around here doing life with God. Doing life with God. Do you believe this, Martha? Like, do you believe this. Whatever your name is here, do you believe this, that abundant life, eternal life is now? What exactly does that look like? What does now mean? Let me make this real practical. I, I simplified it into two phrases for you. I live with the presence of Jesus here, and I rely on the power of Jesus now. Let me say that again. I live with the presence of Jesus here. I do life with God, like he's right with me, right beside me. And then on top of that, I rely on the power of Jesus now. Now, where did I get that? Ephesians 3. Check this out. Paul says, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. See, I'm living with the presence of Jesus here. Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. And then... I rely on the power of Jesus now. It says he will empower you with inner strength. If you look over at Ephesians 1, it says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. 
This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. Now, I want you to think about this. Track with me here. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power available to you and me right now. Wow. Like the same power that Jesus used to raise Lazarus from the dead is the same power available to me? Yes, please. I will take it. Give me that power. What exactly does that mean? It means if you're a mom, a dad, a single parent, a coworker, a friend, a mentor, a coach, teacher, student, doesn't matter. Whatever your role is in life, your power is limited. It's limited. Like if you could have changed things about yourself, you would have done so by now. Your power is limited, but the same power that created this whole playground we call earth, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, the Bible says it's available to you right now. It's available to me right now. I mean, Jesus is saying, Brian, I have such a bigger view of life for you. I mean, back off a little bit. I have so much more. Follow me. Quit relying on your own power. Follow my teachings. Put them into practice. Surrender to me. Be yoked with me. Do life with me. Walk with me. Because I am the resurrection and the what? The life. I'm the life, so start living. I want you to start living, Brian. You get it? Okay, the third thing we discover in this story is that Jesus reveals a heart that breaks. Jesus reveals a heart that breaks. If you look at this last part here, it's very fascinating. How many of you in here have ever wanted to memorize more Scripture? Let me see. Raise your hand if you've wanted to memorize Scripture. Okay, you know the shortest verse in the Bible, the easiest one? It's right here. John eleven thirty five. 35. Say it with me. Jesus wept. All right, good job. You guys just memorized Scripture, okay? You can do this. And I know the New Living Translation adds the word then. Say it with me. Then Jesus wept. Okay, that wiped out about half of us. All right, a little too much, but I get it. Watch what happens here. Verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping, by the way, this is Mary here, and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. What do you see Jesus' emotions here getting stirred up? Where have you put him, he asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. And the people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. You know, I love this, that Jesus, the God-man, God in the flesh, weeps. Jesus was sad. But why? You need to ask that question. Why? Was it because Lazarus was dead? I don't think so. Because Jesus knew that in a matter of seconds, he was going to bring Lazarus back to life again. I think he wept because the Bible says he saw her, Mary, weeping, and the other people wailing with her. His heart broke for those who were grieving. His heart broke for those around who were mourning. Mm. You know, for some of you, your desperate prayer, it's not being answered the way you want it to. And you think it's because you're not good enough. Like you have this view of God that he looks at you and he's keeping track of all your sins. Like he's a scorekeeper and you're on the losing end. All right, hear me on this. That's not how God operates. God loves you. He knows everything about you and he feels your pain. His heart breaks when you're heartbroken. 
You say, okay, Brian, well then, why isn't he answering my prayer the way I want him to? It's a good question. And I'm about to disappoint you here. It's because I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm well-educated, but I don't know. My mind is finite. It can only go out so far. My finite mind cannot grasp the infinite mind of God. So I don't know, but I'll tell you what I do know. And what I've seen in my life and in other people's lives and what I see in the scripture, in the midst of your desperate longing, in the midst of that desperate prayer, God never stops loving you. And he feels for you. He weeps with you. He grieves with you. He is right there with you. Okay, the fourth thing we discover in this story is that Jesus displays a power that transforms. Okay, in verse 39, Jesus says, roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Okay, for those of you who grew up on the King James Version, you know what it says here? It says this, it says, Lord, by this time he stinketh, okay? Yeah. Uh, Jesus, no, I don't, we don't want, no. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you'd see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, boy, Jesus shouts, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. So Lazarus was wrapped in linen, and, and obviously they would use spices, but after four days, okay, he's been in there a long time. That's why Jesus doesn't go in, because it stinketh, okay? That's how he's not, he's smart, all right? <laughs> Plus, he's probably got a good voice. So he's like, Lazarus, come out, right? And I wonder, my mind works this way. I wonder, during that moment, right, during that little delay that happened there, what was going on? Like, there had to be some period of time between when Jesus shouted and when Lazarus walked out. What was going on? Did Martha believe? Did, did anybody believe? Did people doubt? Were some out there mocking, going, Phew. like, what was going on? We don't know. But then all of a sudden, ta-da, like there he is. And the question for most of us is not, did Jesus have the power? I mean, that may be the question for some of you. But the question for most of us is not, did Jesus have the power? The question is, do you believe Jesus enough to trust him with whatever is in your cup, to trust him with your life? Do you believe? You know, I have to wonder, during that moment, like, did Jesus look over at Martha, not with a condemning smile, but with an I love you smile, just to say, Martha, yeah, I know. I know this was your prayer. I know it was desperate. I know I didn't meet your timing deadline, but I never stopped loving you. I am the resurrection and the life. You know, I've often found that my doubt gets in the way, that I limit God's power when I don't fully trust him. You know, I say, Jesus, I trust you. Jesus, I'm trusting you with this area of my life. But then I quickly default to fear and worry and control. You know, I put my trust in weak substitutes, which really amounts to nothing more than putting my trust back in myself. 
And so I want to ask you this morning, in your desperate prayer, are you really trusting fully in the power of Jesus? Or are you going back to taking it on yourself? Okay, the fifth lesson we learn in this story is that Jesus calls the community to help. You know, there's one little word here in this last verse that I think is easy to overlook, but it's very, very powerful. See if you can find it. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. What's the key word there? I believe the key word is them. Jesus told them. Jesus told the community, the friends and the family to get involved. I think you've got to ask the question, why did he ask other people to take off those burial clothes? Like, Why didn't he do it himself? It was his miracle. Why didn't he have Lazarus do it himself? Well, perhaps there's something the community gains by actually physically touching the pain, by getting so close to the odor of their once dead friend. Maybe there's something about connecting with each other in the deepest, rawest moments of one's life that benefits everyone. You know, maybe real community is more than just going to a Bible study. You know, maybe it's much, much deeper than that. We got to get into the nitty-gritty of people's lives. You know, about 12 years ago, I made a commitment to get my physical life in shape. And one of the cool things about the gym where I worked out is the fact that it's kind of like a little community in there. And since lifting weights, doing cardio, all that, it's not a piece of cake. It requires sweat and effort. And so it's easy to fizzle out. It can be easy to give up if you don't have people around you encouraging you, building you up. Now, just little comments like, hey, man, you got this. Let's go. Hey, you're looking solid there, dude. Stuff like that. And I got to thinking about this. I believe every follower of Jesus needs people in their life who are saying, hey, you got this. I'm with you. You're not alone. You can do this. Like, I know your marriage is on the rocks right now, but I'm here for you. I'm praying for you. I know you've lost a loved one, but I am grieving here with you. I'm going to be here for you. You know, I, I know that, that you're struggling over here, whatever it may be. Maybe it's an addiction, but I'm going to be here for you. You know, I don't know what it is for you. Maybe your kid's gone wayward. You need somebody to be there for you. Somebody who's just going to say, hey, we're cheering you on. You know, somebody will say, hey, I know you're going through chemotherapy right now, but I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to hold your hand through this whole trial. We're in this battle together. Boy, we need that, don't we? Unwrap him and let him live. Like, don't be held captive by those garments of death. Too many of us in here, we've been given a new life, and yet we continue to live like we're still in the grave. We dress ourselves with clothes of doubt and fear and guilt and shame. And I'm telling you, if you're trying to do this alone, you need to get around people who have been unwrapped, people who are experiencing the abundant spirit-led life. That's what the church needs to be. So if you're out there in the crowd and you need community, get involved, get connected there. We will help you to get to know brothers and sisters here in the body of Christ. So I started this message with me asking you about your deepest longing, your deepest prayer. And I can't promise you that, that God is going to answer that prayer the way you want it answered. But I can promise you this, from my own experience, from other people's stories, that Jesus may surprise you, but he will never, ever disappoint you. He may surprise you, but he will never disappoint you. You see, I think that people get disappointed when all they do is focus on the cup. Right? All they do is focus on whatever's in the cup. 
And so I would encourage you to take your eyes off of the cup to the one who is holding the cup, Jesus. Because when you focus on Jesus, you won't be disappointed. You may be surprised, right? His timing is surprising. His offer of a bigger life is surprising. His empathy, his love, the tears he sheds over you in the midst of your pain, that's surprising. His power that he gives you and I access to, all that is surprising. But if you turn to him, you won't be disappointed. I promise he'll never disappoint you. Let's pray. Lord, it's a powerful story here. And there's so much that we can learn. First of all, we acknowledge that as frustrating as it is, your timing is not our timing. And it seems like we have to wait and wait and wait, and that is tough for us. Would you help us to trust the pace of your walk? Lord, I thank you that you offer us something even bigger than whatever it is we put in the cup. You have something better, something beyond all we could ever ask for or imagine. And God, we want to thank you that we recognize from this story that when our heart breaks, when we are in pain, when we are grieving, when we feel like it's hard just to take another step forward, you're right there with us and your heart breaks with us. That all the the sin and death, all this stuff, is not a part of your perfect plan in the beginning. God, I thank you that you give a power that goes beyond what we could ever ask for or imagine, a power that just transforms. And I just pray that we would lean on that power, not on our own strength, but trust you. And finally, God, I pray for us as the body of Christ here, that we would be involved in community, that we would be right there with people who need the help, encouraging, walking with people, through the desperate longing, through the desperate prayers. So God, so many wonderful truths that we can learn here. And I pray that these would be absorbed into our lives and just become a part of who we are. And that we would learn moment by moment to live with your presence, to recognize you're right here with us and to rely not on our own strength, but on your power. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so next Sunday, we've got another surprising story for you, another curveball. So we'll see you next week. You guys have a great one.